this next bit is um, of the series, we're just going to be looking at how we look at God um, and how that shapes our prayer. So, sorry, backtrack a little for those of you who are new here. We're doing a series on prayer, um, and it's been going for a little while already. And we started by asking our community what their experience of prayer is like. And our community being our community, there is a vast um, array of um, feelings about prayer um, and people's experiences with prayer. So we spent the last few weeks sort of summarizing some of the major roadblocks our community found with prayer, one being um, growing up in a climate where the assumption is God is dead or not real, Um, the second being um, the kind of philosophical reality of the pain and suffering of the world and that prayer hasn't seemed to do a lot about um, the Holocaust or about starvation or about a whole bunch of major issues. So if prayer is about asking, it seems really, really pointless sometimes in light of the world. Um, The third one we talked about last week was the sensation of feeling like you are close to God um, or that God shows up at particular times in really amazing and helpful ways and then at other times just totally disappears. Um, And that being less philosophical and much more personal, the feeling that you've been betrayed by somebody that you love and it being incredibly difficult to trust that God. Um, As we've uh, worked through this prayer series, we've realized that our understanding of who God is and how God works in the world uh, plays a huge part in our approach to prayer. If we, um, most of us kind of carry around this kind of like paper mache Frankenstein of God, of just kind of bits and pieces that we've collected over the years that don't necessarily even cohere together, but kind of sit somewhere dormant in our subconscious. Um, And so when we think about prayer, um, I think it's really important to think about the God that we're praying to. So as we've gone through, we've started to look through um, some caricatures of God. And this was a little blurb I wrote um, for our Facebook page, so um, you may already have read it. I'm not going to read through the whole thing now, but essentially just to say, if we kind of name um, our views of God, even if they're not total and even if they're a little bit unfair, um, we can begin to kind of confront the God that we're praying to and work out whether it's particularly Christian, (laughs) whether it's particularly helpful, whether it's particularly coherent, and whether it's particularly good. Uh, Knowing that, as Rod said, all views of God are like fingers pointing at the moon. They're not God themselves, but they point somewhere in that direction. Some some fingers (laughs) point further away from God rather than closer to, and I'd argue that some of these caricatures have bits of truth in them, um, and some of these caricatures have a whole lot of really, really unhelpful stuff in them as well. They're rough. They're not entirely fair, um, but that's what caricatures are. If you've ever seen a political caricature of a person, they don't always have noses that big. So I'm just going to really quickly run through a few of them just to kind of jog your memory, um, and you'll have your own caricatures there as well. But um, our first caricature is, um, is, is Zeus. Um, his special features are um, he's a very good smiter. He can um, shoot lightning from his nipples. Um, Zeus is the kind of all-controlling God, or Zeus is God as all power. So um, God's sovereignty is deemed to be about 
primarily about power, that God controls, that God is a judge of the world in a way that um, he is the distributor of punishment um, and sort of resettles the scales. Um, that everything that happens somehow is God's will. Everything happens, happens for a reason. Um, a lot of that stuff is where you get some really, really unhelpful trite Christianese, um, particularly around things like death, like, you know, um, your child died, God needed another angel in heaven, which is just exactly what you need to hear um, when you've lost a child, of course. Um, just profoundly unhelpful um, perspective, um, which just makes God seem far less kind than we are. Um, so Zeus, uh, yeah, so Zeus is a kind of Greco-Roman view of God, but also there's kind of shadows of bits of the dark side of God portrayed in the Old Testament in there as well. Um, yeah, you may recognize him from your past. Um, quotes, didn't get a job? My will. Puppy died? My will. End up in hell? You guessed it. Um, that's a little double predestination dig for you theology nerds out there. Um, Rod, Rod introduced us to Stalin God, who's this kind of like God with a grand plan. And so that everything that happens, happens um, for a reason, um, but it all together works towards God's greater good in the end. So, you know, quite a few million people might need to starve of famine, but in the end, um, a few people get to heaven because God willed it. And isn't that great? Um, it was all worth it in the end, wasn't it? And you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Um, Santa God, uh, also known as Cosmic Vending Machine, um, dishes out the stuff we need when we need it. When he doesn't, it's probably because we were naughty, not nice. Um, he specializes in car parks at Kurong. Um, yeah, so, so Santa God um, is kind of uh, also the God of desperation, of like that we don't actually really believe in until we really, really need something. Um, I think all of us have a bit of Santa God dormant within us. Um, others have called him Pentecostal Jesus, my favorite Jesus. Um, this is a more of a philosophical one, but the clockmaker, the God that kind of created everything and set everything into being and then is kind of absentee landlorded, just kind of backed off the scene and just watches it all play out um, and doesn't actually do anything anymore. Um, the bodyguard God um, protects those that believe in him from anything bad happening or anything really bad. Um, the kind of sense that because I'm a Christian, good things will happen and nothing bad will ever happen and all things are possible. Um, and unfortunately for lots of um, for lots of people who have kind of like pinned all of their hopes on bodyguard Jesus, um, when great trauma or great pain comes along, they lose God in the process, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, and then there's some, quite a lot of overlap between some of these caricatures you'll see. Um, the last one, which I talked about last week, which was the disappearing dad, um, which is, yeah, the God that shows up and is incredibly close. Um, and this is a very experiential one. Um, God that shows up and is incredibly close to you and then one day disappears in a way that you can't contact that God anymore or you feel distant or something um, we shared from one of, the, one of our stories last week about someone who's, you know, who prayed and prayed and prayed for their husband to be cured of cancer um, or to make it through cancer and the husband made it through only to come out the other side with incredibly deep depression and um, a bit of a split personality and this person going, <laughs> great, my husband is alive, but now he's a sociopath and a narcissist. Like, what do I, what do, I do? What do I do with that? 
So where we're moving next is to try and grab a lens that we can gather around to filter our views of God. Um, the Bible, some of you may find this controversial, others of you not, but the Bible provides a lot of caricatures of God and not all of them line up together. Um, it's um, built into Scripture is the idea that there are a multiplicity of perspectives and yet God is somewhere in that process. Um, if you are the kind of person who's an inerrantist, you have to try and squash all of these things in together to make them all line up. Um, but that's a lot of gymnastics. Um, you have to be very flexible to be able to do that. Um, for most of us, we hold the idea that, oh, sorry, let's talk on behalf of myself. I hold the idea, <laughs> instead of you. Um, I, I hold the idea, which is well within Christian tradition, um, a long way back, that the Bible provides a lot of perspectives and that God is in the middle of those somewhere um, and they don't have to all line up and that that is okay. Um, if you ever try and align the history um, in the Old Testament together, um, if you're an inerrantist, you'll have a lot of trouble. Um, so what is, what is our lens? How do, we, how do we work out what our best view of God actually is? Well, this is where in theological language you have a thing called a high Christology. Um, and a high Christology basically means that Jesus... Um, is the best revelation of God that we have. Um, I'm just going to read to you from John 4. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you'd know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, yet still you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus here is saying there are, you want to know who God is. You want to know who the Father is. Look at, look at how I behave. Look at who I am, and you will see the Father. Uh, Rod talked a few weeks ago about particular atonement theories or theories of the cross and how we're made right with God that kind of seem like you've got this nice Jesus um, doing this really friendly dance and kind of trying to hold back this like really angry 60s dad who just wants to belt the heck out of everything. Um, that is a split view of the Trinity. When you've got happy Jesus holding back angry, belt-wielding God, that's a split Trinity. And so what we're trying to do is bring those caricatures of God that we carry with us through to Jesus and say, knowing what we know of who Jesus is, this is our Christian commitment. For those of us who um, are committed to Christianity, this is kind of where we center ourselves, is what do we know about God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Jesus becomes the lens through which Christians filter all views of God. Um, Trip Fuller from Homebrew Christianity podcast is this God 
is at least as nice as Jesus. God is at least as nice as Jesus. And this can be a really, really uncomfortable process um, for lots of us. It took me probably 10 years to emotionally and psychologically work my way through being able to do this because I had grown up with kind of a package deal with God of that someone else knew who God was and he contained all of these things. Um, And um, you had to kind of swallow God as the whole package. Um, We know who God is. We know what he's like, so take it or leave it. And so wrestling with bits of or portrayals of God that you found uncomfortable was kind of off limits because that was to doubt God. Um, But this is what you see Jesus kind of inviting us to time and time again. Much of Jesus' ministry is challenging people's assumptions about what God or God's kingdom were like and what God wanted from us, what spirituality looks like. For Israel, their relationship to the law, the temple, the poor, to power, to the unclean, all of those things reflected their view of who God was and what God mattered. Uh, and sorry, what mattered to God. The law was seen as proxy for God's will, and every time Jesus challenged people's interpretation of the law, he was reshaping their view of God. Through parable and story and rebuke and embodied action, Jesus constantly challenged people's view of God, yet remained firmly in the tradition of the Hebrew Scriptures. So Jesus is, you know, people are asking Jesus, you know, whose sin, whose sin caused this man to be blind? Um, you know, should we stone this woman who was caught in adultery? Um, can we sit at your right hand when Israel's made the world superpower? Jesus constantly pushes back and reshapes and reframes. Um, He constantly says, you know, you have heard it said, but I say. We look at the Beatitudes. um, And there's this kind of background assumption in the culture um, of the day where God, how do you know who God is with? God is with the favored and the powerful. Um, You know that they're God's favorites because God's given them stuff and they're powerful and they're doing well. Um, And in the Beatitudes, God um, blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him. God blesses those who, are mourn, who mourn. God blesses those who are humble, who don't take and grab. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. The pushback against the kind of popularist views of this God that sets the world up in a very tight pyramid and puts the right people at the top and everyone else at the bottom and they can just suck it up. Um, Jesus challenges and reshapes and pushes, that, pushes back on that. Who does God hang out with? He hangs out with those in the temple and those who are pure and those who keep the law and um, cross every T and dot every I. But Jesus hangs out with sinners and when challenged on that says, no, 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 I came for those who realize that they are sick and realize that they have needs, not those who already think they are good enough. So this, this tradition of taking our perspectives of God and filtering them through Jesus can seem unnerving to those of us who have kind of grown up with this background picture of we, we like Jesus, but we know the real God is the kind of n- n- lightning nipple shooter one um, who's hell-bent on sending everyone to hell. Um, this, is, this is deep in our tradition. Tr- Christian tradition has continued to look at Jesus and filter all views of God through Jesus. Um, 
So that's what we're going to try and do in the series when we think about prayer. Um, we don't get to create God as we want God to be, but we do get to wrestle with Scripture, tradition, and experience, and shed false views of God as we seek truth. Matthew 11. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you a rest. Oh, sorry, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Um, As we've talked to people in this series uh, about how they see prayer and how they see God, for so many, there's this heaviness around God. Um, And one of the things I kind of sensed that our community needs is to come to Jesus and submit ourselves to him in a way that we can receive a way of relating to God that is light, that is restful, and that feels kind, that shedding the vengeful or muscle God in favor of the Jesus who came to give himself for us is a really important move for our community. And this is not to say that Jesus isn't at times challenging or difficult or mysterious or perplexing, but it is to say that Jesus is not a monster. And Jesus didn't come to flex his muscle. Jesus came to give his life, to serve. So I have, just as a little exercise for this week, um, at great expense, we had to remortgage the building that we purchased from a very legitimate store online um, actual portions of Jesus' real robe. Let's just say we're going to have to take up some more offerings because they were very, very expensive. They definitely did not bleach them. Jesus' holiness did the job far better than any kind of powder. Or nappy sand, nappy Jesus. Um, that bit was a joke. Lots of the other bits were jokes also. Um, these are symbolic. <laughs> I was thinking about the woman who reached out and touched Jesus as I was thinking about this morning. And just thinking... Bless you. For some of for some of us, having a token while we pray might help create some cognitive cognitive dissonance between um, the God we struggle with and potentially the God we can love in Jesus, who came to give his life. So I'm inviting you this morning to take um a piece of this with you during the week. Um, Take it this morning, carry it with you during the week. 
And when you pray, hold this and think about Jesus first. When you pray, think about the Jesus who dined with the unclean. Think about the Jesus who refused to cast the first stone. Think about the Jesus who welcomed the little children. Think about the Jesus who said, come unto me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, yeah. So we're going to close on that. I'm going to leave these up here. Um, and if you would find that helpful, um, then you're more than welcome to come and take one. Um, there was a small down payment um, to cover our, <laughs> cover our costs. No. Um, it's actually a tablecloth I found in the cupboard, but it had a hole in it, so I didn't feel bad about cutting it up. And Jesus may have on a tablecloth. Scholars are unsure. Um, I'm going to pray. Loving God, Jesus, whose burden is light, this morning we submit our Frankenstein paper mache picture of God to you. And I pray that as we go through this series, that the truth will out. That what truly represents you would stick and all else would fall away. Give us permission, give us bravery and courage to know you for who you really are. We thank you, God, that you are at least as nice as Jesus and have to be even nicer than us. So help us to cling to your robe this week. Amen.